So as I said, <clears throat> you don't have to excuse. I was out in the yard working yesterday and my sinuses are starting to act up. <clears throat> We're going to pick up in about verse 7 of chapter 12 um, and with our study. And so just as a kind of a brief refresher um, or a reminder, chapter 11 um, starts out with, um, as Paul terms it, foolishness and verse 1, foolish boasting. And so his, his boasting not to build himself up, but to defend um, his uh, apostolic authority, but also to defend the church and to defend um, the teachings of Christ uh, to the church at, at Corinth. Um, in, in chapter uh, 11, verse 13, what's he defending against? Uh, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So those that are the false teachers we've been talking about most of this quarter, um, that a good chunk of Second Corinthians, Paul was defending himself against these, these likely Judaizing teachers, but, in, it, but not without any doubt, false teachers, uh, those that were making themselves out as false apostles. And so we went through that and we got into chapter 12. We talked briefly about Paul's vision uh, of heaven. Um, and then we get into chapter 12, verse 7. So what I'd like to do is read chapter 12, verse 7 through the end of the chapter and then look, um, probably spend the majority of our time in chapter 12 uh, today. So beginning in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I become foolish. You yourself compelled me. Actually, I should have been com commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostle, <clears throat> even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were, were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. <clears throat> Here, for this third time, I'm ready to come to you. I will not burden you. I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you, the more am I to be loved the less. But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you by deceit. Certainly I've not taken advantage of you through any of those who I've sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? 
Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I'm, I may find you to be not what I wish, and you may find by you to be not what, and I'm sorry, <clears throat> I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, angers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again to you, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, sensuality which they have practiced. So we begin in verse 7, uh, Paul um, discussing or starting to speak to um, the thorn in the flesh. Um, and again, I think it ties in closely to some of the comments he's made in the preceding chapter, but also in the beginning of chapter 12 uh, around his boasting and around um, the vision of heaven. And, and in that, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, and again, I think looking back at, at the preceding four, five, six verses around his vision of heaven, for this reason, to keep myself from exalt, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. So, we're not going to get into what that thorn in the flesh is because there's a, a ton of debate about what it could be. And there's some that speculated it was his vision. Uh, he it was lacking the, um, you know, some, some vision issues or had some vision issues. Some have suggested it was a physical malady of some kind that was obvious to everyone around him. And some of that might go back to some of the accusations that are made against him as far as being physically weak. But like I said, we don't know definitively uh, what that was. I think you can look, look back at Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, and it talks, Paul references to the church at Galatia, uh, Galatia uh, a bodily illness or a bodily condition. So it could be that same same thing that we're talking about here. It could be different. Um, the long and short of it is um, he was facing some physical difficulty in all likelihood. Even that could be debated. There's some that have suggested it was some kind of, of, of a spiritual challenge that was facing him. I don't think that's likely. I personally think it's some physical difficulty that he was facing. But the, the long and short of it is, is he was facing some difficulty um, that he had prayed to have removed from him. And so I think from an example standpoint, um, it, gives us, it gives us an example of even the apostles, those that were among Christ that were named and give us the word or provided us the word through the spirit faced difficulties and physical challenges. They were out preaching the word, they were out teaching the word, and they faced some of the same physical and maybe even, obviously, from a persecution standpoint, more severe physical difficulties than we do. But this, again, I don't think necessarily was a result of the persecution. I think this is a physical difficulty that was given to him. I think the other thing that we're probably not going to get into a lot uh, today, because there's not a definitive answer, is 
who gave him this, this thorn in the flesh. If you read, um, for this reason, to keep myself from, uh, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. You know, on the surface, messenger of Satan, I think that most people would just in, initially say it's coming from Satan, like Job. And you see Job chapter 2, um, the, the difficulties that were provided or given to Job or, or uh, weighed on Job were a result of Satan, Satan's hand directly. The, the one kind of caveat to that would be if you look, and again, this isn't my research, this is reading Greek scholars. When you read the Greek of the beginning of this, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me, um, most of the writers suggest that the language points to given to him by God. Um, and again, it's not something that's really that pertinent to our discussion today. Um, but just kind of an understanding, and I think from a personal standpoint, um, we need to be careful to say this difficulty that's been given to me is, is of Satan, you know, because it could be, as we all know, um, the difficulties, the trials uh, that, that allow us to be strengthened could be coming from God. And so I think it's, it's um, something that we need to really think hard about um, and, and again, um, realize that it's, and we'll speak to in a second, that it's through God's grace, through his, his power that we're able to overcome um, these, these difficulties. Um, I, I read real quick. Um, there was a, 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 a quote that I'll take. Uh, one of the, the authors that I was looking at, one of the expositors I was looking at, Talbert said, even if God is not the giver of this thorn in the flesh, but rather Satan alone, still, as in Job, God must have permitted it. So God, in the end, um, is in power, and he limits or allows Satan um, to only go so far. And so, again, I think that's my takeaway relative to those points. So I'll pause. We're not going to go into the thorn in the flesh um, in a ton of detail. We're not going to go into who provided that thorn in the flesh. I'd rather us focus more on God's response to the thorn in the flesh in verse 9, but I wanted to pause and see if there are any comments or questions before we move on. So often we look at blessings as always something that's an immediate positive thing. We count our blessings. We think of the things that are good in our lives or going well for us. But when we look at the bigger picture and we look at what does God want he want from us, he wants us to draw closer to him. And when our life is going well, when there's no money problems, there's no health problems, we typically don't draw close to God. It's when things are bad. It's when things are difficult that we are re recognizing, oh, I need help. And that's when we draw closer to God. And so when whether it's Job or, who, or whether it's us, when, when we encounter difficult times of life, which we all will and do, we can look at that as a negative. We can look at that as, well, that's Satan trying to bring me down, but it's also an opportunity for us to grow closer to God. It's also an opportunity for us, if we have the right mindset, to say, 
And later we can look back and be thankful for that and recognize if we had the right mindset that, oh, I did draw closer to God. And then when we're doing that and then we receive relief, we can recognize God provided that relief. So as he's looking at this and he says he brags about his infirmities, he brags about this, whatever this is that, that he feels holds him back. It, it's actually helping keep him closer to God. Yeah, and we have to realize that God's hand is in everything and always in control. Um, you know, I, I always say it's impossible, especially in times of difficulty, not, not impossible, but it's difficult in times of difficulty to, to see providence, to see God's hand. It's always, it's always a month later, a year later, two years later that I look back and I go, okay, that's the reason that happened. And so, again, going back to what Paul said here, and I think the, the whole intent of all of this is trust in God. You know, trust in him and have faith, and, and we're going to get into it in a second. He, he'll take care of us. You know, it doesn't mean that the difficulty is going to get removed, uh, but we have to trust that his hand, he's in control and know that. And, and we can bear through anything if we, if we trust that. I just wanted to say I, I didn't have a physical thing, but I had emotional and mental problems. And sometimes when you have those problems, you pray to God to take them away because you don't want the... The, you don't want to be be different. You don't want to be that way. And um, but God God puts stuff in your life, even even the hard stuff, and 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 made you that way because it's part of your personality. It's part of who you are as an individual. And if you can embrace your difficulties along with your uh, blessings then you can become a better Christian and you can become closer to God and you can also help those who are suffering the same way you are and tell them that there is hope for salvation and there is hope for them through your own experiences in life, through your own sufferings. Yeah, and through our difficulties, we're strengthened. And so, we, again, we need to just trust in God and, and have faith in him. And so with that kind of trust and faith and confidence, let's transition on to um, kind of this, this statement where I think we'll spend most of our time this morning. Um, it, Paul prayed three times, asked three times that this thorn be, be taken from him, and the response was, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So... When, he, when the first part of the response, I'm going to kind of look at it in two different parts, if that's okay with everybody. My grace is sufficient. So we, we think about, I think about, I won't say we, I think about grace a lot relative to the forgiveness of sin and spiritual benefits that he provides us. Here, I think it's talking about, uh, it is talking about spiritual in nature, but also um, I think, bearing through these difficulties. So how is God's grace sufficient for Paul to, to deal with this difficulty? How does that happen? God can ease his pain, but it might not even be that. He's not taking the pain away, if that's what it is. 
how can God's grace allow Paul to bear through these difficulties, through this pain? Not taking the pain away. That's not what this is saying. Because he said, no, you're not going to have this taken away. So how can, how can God allow, how can God's grace in, in particular allow Paul to bear through this? With strength he gives them? Okay. So how, how does, I'm going to ask you to kind of expand on it. Uh, to try to get to, to the, and I, th I think all of, I'm not giving anything revolutionary, but I think it's a really good topic for us to discuss for a second. So how, how does God give us strength to bear through these things? I don't know if it's necessarily, I mean, I guess maybe it could be some type of a physical strength, but I think more or less uh, the, the, the spiritual and mental emotional aspect of it, of one, being able to go back, look back in everything Christ went through, and see, you know, we can, we can gain strength through that. All things, especially as Christians, when we fall, fail, fall to, to temptation and we sin and we think, well, there's no hope or whatever. But then when we see others that even, not, not Jesus because he didn't sin, but others like whether it's Peter or Paul who did have sin but rebounded and, and improved and went on, it gives us that, that hope and which helps strengthen us to push through those difficult situations. Yep. Very good. John? Uh, what I was going to say is basically what <laughs> what Nate just said, too. I, but I, I think about <clears throat> 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. Paul, evidently at this time, not only still had that thorn in the flesh, but he was about to be executed. Mm -hmm. And he said, the reason I'm suffering these things is because I've preached the gospel. Verse 12, he said, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Mm -hmm. So it's that promise, the surety of the promise of the inheritance, which see him through whatever difficulties he faced on this earth. Yeah, and uh, um, <clears throat> so let me ramble here for a second. So I think that. Um, what I like to try to keep in mind is what what was one of Paul's main points in 2 Corinthians is defending his credibility. And if you're defending your credibility, you want to be seen as a strong, knowledgeable, um, you know, able to fight back against whoever's trying to, to, to fight against you. Maybe in this case, uh, some false teachers who were Jewish. Um, Paul had a lot going for him uh, that maybe at times he had failed to remember. Like in chapter 12, verse 4, he was caught up in that paradise and heard inexpressible words. So God, God, yeah, maybe you had a thorn in the flesh, but you also got to go to heaven and hear from Jesus his life. You got to hear the story of Jesus in a different way than any of the other apostles were able to, to hear. So, yes, you may have a... Uh, something in your life that looks like weakness, recognize what your, this is what I think he's telling himself and talking to God about is recognize what your role is uh, and, and how you've been prepared for this role and what you've been given here or what I'm permitting to happen to you is part of your role uh, to, to, to carry your role humbly even when you're criticized by uh, by critics in the Corinthian church, uh, recognize that my grace 
and my knowledge that I've given to you uh, in paradise should be sufficient to, to fulfill your role. And then that's what you need. Very good. Uh, I, I was thinking about the fact that when I was five, I broke my arm. And my mother was very concerned about that fact and said, what's, it, she's going to be, so, it, that arm will be so weak. And the doctor said, no, when the break heals, it'll be stronger than it was before. Mm -hmm. And so that is sometimes what happens with some of the deeper things in life that happen that we have to deal with. Yeah, and so I think all of y'all kind of made the points that that um, I was thinking. So, uh, you know, some of it is I thought about, to Nate's point, the example of Christ. And so we can look and see those that have born through much more difficult situations than we have physically and have confidence that if they can bear through it, we can bear through it. Um, I think kind of back over to, to some of the things that Bill said, you know, this is, in some of the comments that were made earlier also, this is God's plan. We need to have confidence and trust that he's in charge. Even if I'm facing physical difficulties or challenges, we have to know and trust that he's in charge and, and he's, he's looking out for us and he's taking care of us. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the pain as in the case of Paul, is going to get removed. But we need to have confidence. And I think that should, in my mind, is a huge part of that grace, is knowing and trusting and believing that he is all-powerful. And in that, he controls all of this stuff. Just uh, quickly, three passages that I think of that, that allude to this being temporary. Uh, in Romans 8, in verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. And then, of course, uh, we mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but a moment, is working for us far more exceeding in the eternal weight of glory, for we do not look to things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then my final go-to is in Revelation 22:4, And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, where there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Yeah. So just to consider all of this is just whatever we're enduring is just temporary. It's just temporary. And, and I thought back to, to also, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, some of the, the comments in the, in Paul made to them in the first letter, talking about Christ crucified, a Jew, a stumbling block, Gentile foolishness, and then in verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is a power of God and the wisdom of God. And so through that power... Um, through that hope that we have of heaven, to, to your point, that should allow us or, or help us to endure anything because this all is temporary. This is, in the whole grand scheme of things, doesn't really matter. You know, even if, even if we're be dealing with it for the entirety of our life, for the 80 or so years, if we get that long, it's very brief in comparison to heaven. Roger? brings to my mind, we can look back in Deuteronomy 8, where God's dealing with the children of Israel. In verse 2 there, he says, you shall remember the whole way of the Lord your God, 
uh, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every, by the, every word of the mouth of the Lord. And then it goes on in five, and then in your heart, as man disciplines his son, the Lord, your God, disciplines you. So you know, through, the, through the difficulties, we're strengthened, and I think that's a kind of a good segue into kind of the second part of this statement. So, so the second part of the response, my grace is sufficient for you, uh, but the second part is for powers perfected in weakness. Um, so when you think about it, I think to, to Roger's point, through, through trying us, through testing us, through, um, through thorns in the flesh for us, it can strengthen us in the same way as, um, as we discipline our children. You know, it's, it's to make them go in the right direction. It's to make them stronger. It's to make them realize the right path. Um, and so I think it's that same idea. Um, you know, Paul throughout um, in, in the preceding chapter, in the preceding chapters, boasted in his infirmities, not in what all he did. Um, and because, uh, because, of pow- uh, because of God's power, uh, through God's power, uh, he was strengthened. Um, I think about James. In fact, let's turn over to James chapter uh, 1. Um, and look at those verses. James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be, perf- be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so through testing, through trials, um, we're made perfect. And so how is that? So it's obviously through that idea of purifying gold and, and the, the error being removed through that fire, through the purification. We know the passages that speak to that. So Paul boasted in his infirmities and in his suffering, not because he was trying to make himself better. I've endured all of these difficulties. I've had all of these trials. I've got this thorn in the flesh, and so you need to look up to me and see that I've borne through this. No, I think it goes back to some of the things we studied earlier, um, that through weakness, we see God's power. Through our weakness, uh, I think back to, I don't know if I've got it up there, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, or we can look forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. For indeed, speaking about Christ, he was crucified, but because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we shall live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. So in weakness, he was crucified. From a worldly sense, that showed weakness on the part of Christ, showed weakness on the part of God's message, but the power was in his resurrection. The power for us, the power for Christ, the power for all, was shown in that resurrection. Uh, in what appeared weakness was part of God's plan. And again, going back to the point that we made earlier, all of this is God's plan. If we endure difficulties, if we have thorns in the flesh, 
It's all part of God's plan. You know, whether he gave us the thorn or whether he allowed the thorn, it's all part of his plan. And that shows um, God's power. I think back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we looked at earlier in this quarter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. So if you remember this passage talking about these earthen vessels, these clay vessels, these weak vessels, but it, through these weak vessels, we're seeing the power of God. Um, and so again, this whole parallel between strong and weak, and, and then continuing on and back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, uh, the end of that verse, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so again, the idea of Christ as our perfect example, um, the suffering Savior um, bore through all of this, um, and even though on the surface, from a worldly sense, looked weak, um, but for us is strength. Um, and again, all of this, I think, should encourage us and let us know that we, should, we can bear through it. So for time's sake, I'm going to continue kind of skipping through a little bit. I did want to spend some time on this thought because I think it's a really important thought uh, for our study. Uh, before we skip to verse 14, verses 12 and 13, Paul goes back and is defending himself again, I think, uh, talking about the signs of the true apostle, signs, wonders, glorious deeds, again, authenticating himself um, by what he had done previously as a true apostle. Um, and so all of this is, is kind of putting to rest, um, I think, on two fronts, these false teachers. Obviously, they were trying to deceive these uh, Christians in Corinth. Um, they were also trying to build themselves up. Um, and, and in these, these couple of verses, he's saying you shouldn't be building yourself up. Through weakness, we have strength. The second part of it is you should see what we've done physically from a signs and wonders and realize that we are who we say we are. We are apostles and we are the true teacher, uh, the true teachers and the true conveyor of God's will. Um, and then he ends these verses, um, 12 and 13, took nothing from them, forgive me this wrong. Again, a little bit of sarcasm here in my opinion. He ends these verses 14 through 21 um, with uh, some affection for them, some love for them, or trying to convey that. Uh, he's ready to come to them a, a third time. Um, verses 14 and 15, like a parent to a child. Uh, so he's still not going to be willing to take money from them. Um, he's willing to be spent and to spend, uh, and again, I think it's another great example for us as Christians, uh, the way we should approach each other um, is, are we willing to spend and be spent? Uh, so spend physically, maybe our money, um, our, our own wealth, our own time, but also be spent um, physically. And again, I don't think he's speaking spiritually here. I think this is talking more about the physical complaint that had been brought against Paul, um, that he's willing to give up all of these things for them so that they might um, be found faithful. Um, so by not taking money in verses 16 um, and through 18, I think the false teachers, again, were suggesting that Paul was trying to deceive the church at Corinth. 
um, through his guile and craftiness, he says in these verses. Uh, but Paul turns it around and says he's doing all of this for, for their edification. Um, so in verses 19 through 21, he talks about some of the things he's concerned about for them. Um, strife. Uh, and so some have suggested or some versions might read debate or contention. Uh, jealousy, so envy or rivalry, some versions might say. Angry temper, some, some versions might say wrath. Selfishness, strife or dispute, slander, some versions might say backbiting, gossip, some versions may say whisperings, arrogance, and disturbances. So again, I think just turning it back on myself, I'm back on us, uh, these are things we need to guard against. They might have taken care of the big issue, and I'm saying that in air quotes. Um, a man with his, his father's wife, that's a big issue, but that doesn't take away that these are also important and big issues that Paul is instructing them to guard against and to make corrections around. Um, you know, I think, again, it's things that we might take lightly. You know, you think about gossip and slandering. If we're talking behind someone's back, if we're, even if, if it's our opinion, if we're saying what we think our opinion is behind somebody's back, that's gossip and slander. Um, there's no place for that. There's no place for that. And I think that's what Paul is saying. There's no place for arrogance, and we've already talked about that. But strife and jealousy, you know, divisions that we saw in, in 1 Corinthians, there's no place for that. And so we need to guard against all of these things, not just think about the big things and not just think about the things that are maybe physically obvious to everyone, a man with his, his father's wife that's physically obvious to everyone, we need to be thinking and guarding ourselves, but also guarding each other. You know, if we're in a moment and someone starts going down the gossip route, we need to call them on it. We need to, to and in the right way, but we need to make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable individually, but we're holding each other accountable. Uh, because I think that's what Paul is calling on for the church here. I'm going to pause and see if there are any comments before we continue on in our last 10 minutes in chapter 13. Okay, so I'd planned knowing that we would spend some time just to kind of throw up all of my slides for chapter 13. Um, so let's, let's read the entirety of chapter 13, and then I'll come back and make a handful of comments in our remaining time. So 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Previously said, when present, the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for proof of Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak towards you but mighty in you, for indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we are also weak in him, yet we shall live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do, not, you do no wrong, 
Not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we should appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason I am writing these things while absent, in order that when present I may not use severity in accord with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So he starts out uh, verses um, one through four or so talking about uh, discipline, uh, talking about um, and, and conferring or, or telling them that he's not going to hesitate to, to correct them um, based on the authority that was given to him by Christ. Um, I think in, when we read in verse one around the voice or the, the testimony of, of two or three, I think that's talking about establishing guilt and the correct way to establish guilt, and he's not going to hesitate uh, to make that correction. Um, and again, I think it's an example of how we should come to our brothers and our sisters when there are corrections that need to be made. So he will not spare that discipline, um, not only of the previous sins that were referred to and we talked about in, um, in 1 Corinthians, but those that might have lapsed back into some of these sins that were just outlined at the end of chapter 12. Um, so he's, he's, gonna, he's going to make those corrections, even though they thought maybe or were told by these false teachers that he He's weak, and he's not that authoritative when he's in front of you. He's only strong in his letters. I think he's confirming here that he's going to come to them, and there will be corrections that are made based on the authority that's been given to him. Verse 3, they're talking about seeking, or he, he refers to them seeking proof of God speaking in him. Uh, and I think he's saying here, upon his visit, he will further establish that he has the strength and the authority um, through Christ. Um, in verse 4, Christ appeared weak and was crucified, and we've already kind of talked about that a little bit, so I'm not going to go into a, a ton more detail on that, but I think we can take a second and say, you know, the, the Corinthians saw uh, and experienced Christ's power. Um, in verse uh, 24 of 1 Corinthians 1, uh, they saw his power through his word and through their conversion. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, saw the power through these spiritual gifts, and he refers to it in these verses. Um, and I think the, uh, if I put myself in Paul's shoes, uh, obviously none of this was done by Paul, but a lot of it was done through Paul. Uh, done by God through Paul, and, and now they're questioning him. And so I think he's further trying to establish and reinforce his apostolic authority here. Uh, the power was shown through Christ's resurrection. Um, the one thing that I did want us to briefly think about is if we think back to the power of God, the power of God works two ways. And I think 
to this point of correction is a very pertinent point. We look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, um, talking about um, Paul's preaching and, and the teaching. And it says, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma of death to death, to the other an aroma of life to life. And so that power goes both ways. Uh, the, the power to save, the power of life is there uh, for us to, to, to take, to engage, and to be a part of. Um, but also if we don't, there's that power of death. Uh, and so his power, God's power, is kind of a two-edged sword. Um, and to that point, in verses 5 and 6, he calls, Paul calls them to examine themselves, to, to reflect on themselves. And, and again, I think going back to some of the things that were outlined at the end of chapter 12, make sure you're not doing those things. And I think it's a call for us, too, uh, to examine ourselves and make sure that we aren't disqualified. Um, I think about Hebrews Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, encouraging one another every day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. So not only reflecting on ourselves and working to make sure our walk with, with Christ is right, but also looking to each other, encouraging each other, uh, encouraging each other to do what's right, encouraging each other to, to live the lives that we need to, that whole idea of self-examination. He ends in, in the 7 through 10, um, encouraging them uh, and, and directing them to, to be faithful, to do no evil. You see similar language earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that idea of doing no evil. Uh, and he will be, again, similar to what we looked at in, in chapter 12, he will be weak if that means they're strong. He'll give up uh, and he'll spend and be spent in order for them to be strengthened. Um, and then verse 10, for this reason I'm writing these things while absent in order that when present I may not, be, not use severity in accord with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. And so, Again, I think back to, and we made reference to Jeremiah 24, verse 6, talking to the children of Israel, directing or in, hoping that he would be building up, encouraging, edifying, and not tearing down. Obviously, children of Israel failed at that and were taken into captivity, but I think Paul is making the point here. They have time. They can make these corrections, but they need to act now. Uh, and so then in his conclusions, um, you know, that those final exhortations be complete, of good comfort, of one mind, live in peace. So again, I think it's good words for us to think about. Um, you know, reflect on ourselves, look to ourselves and make sure we are walking the walk. But then as a group, um, be complete, be of one mind. And again, going back to some of the, the errors that were outlined at the end of chapter 12, um, guard against those things because that can cause divisions within the church here. It uh, can cause divisions one to the other, but can cause larger issues. So I appreciate everyone's comments this quarter, um, and I look forward to next quarter with, with Phil teaching. Thank you all.